this morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Wake up this morning. Uh, it's a Friday. We're broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studio. And boy, there are many items to talk about today. A busy, busy Friday here on The Fan. I'm Andy Sweeney. He's Kevin Bowen. Kevin Bowen going with the, just a shirt today. No sweatshirt. It's 60 degrees Have outside. Have you seen the weather? Oh, it's fantastic. Mark I almost Dighton's went sunscreen here. on this Friday morning. <laughs> Producing today's effort. We have Pacers. We have... I mean, that game was disgusting last night. Pacers trade deadline. Congratulations to Dwight Freeney. Well-deserved in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And yeah, this little thing called Purdue and IU tomorrow on the basketball court. Wow, what a Friday, KB. A good morning to you, sir. Well, and we'll certainly carve out time for Notre Dame, Virginia Tech well, tomorrow to. from Purcell Pavilion. <laughs> I, I assumed think. we were leading with Is that. Is Mike Young the coach? Who's the coach I, at Virginia Tech? Yeah. I you know what? It doesn't matter. When Buzz Williams was there, we, we, we really struggled. But uh, we're going to get a home win and get, you and Buzz get, Williams. get off the schneid here for the Irish. Uh, certainly some trade deadline stuff. Uh, obviously, the Pacers very active. What does it all mean? I had so many people kind of contacting me at like 4 o'clock yesterday. All right, make it make sense. And, and, and I don't know if I can. We will try to make it make sense to you. Uh, and for what it's worth, they still have one open roster spot. I don't know if they are a buyout market team or how that will play out. But uh, certainly, as you said, Andy, and absolutely loaded Friday, kind of how we did with the first IU-Purdue game. I want to make sure we give our audience a little bit of a preview here. So uh, the first time around, we did a little ex-coach action with Bruce Weber and Tom Crean joining us. Today, we'll go ex-player. We wanted to make sure we went ex-player from this state. So one of the absolute legends for me growing up. The pride of Noblesville, a man that I watched in the mill a whole lot. The Mr. Basketball from Noblesville High School. That would be one Tom Coverdale joining us at 8 o'clock. And then at 9.30, Andy, Sasha Stefanovic from the region, obviously. Who just uh, stopped playing. Yeah, One of the great <laughs> three-point shooters for Purdue, certainly over the last uh, you know decade plus. But even if you look at some of the numbers program history. And he has a very important part. On Matt Painter's staff. Yes, he does. Um, that I'll be looking forward to chat about with him as well. So, again, Sasha Savanovich at 930, Tom Coverdale at 8, and then to get a little bit more on the Pro Football Hall of Fame, as Andy said, Dwight Freeney and that spin move is in. Reggie Wayne has got to wait for another year. I know Mike Chappell has some opinions on that. The Hall of Fame voter is going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. Boy, I tell you, what a Friday. And, you know, through it all. So so we'll talk IU, Purdue, and and we'll do that. I'm really excited. By the way, Sasha, if I'm not mistaken, 7-2 against Indiana at his time at Purdue. That's pretty good. You think he knows that record? Uh, I think he probably does. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. So I cannot wait. You know, I've never talked to Tom Coverdale. Seen him play all these times, and other shows have had him on. I'm like, we need to get Tom Coverdale on. So I'm excited. Uh, about that and then Freeney making it uh, you know that's just fantastic I mean it's a fun class Julius Peppers Andre Johnson like you said Reggie Wayne with the the backup if you will at wide receiver we thought that Andre Johnson would kind of be ahead of him uh, and so now Reggie Wayne what Torrey Holt probably uh, you're looking at perhaps the next wide receivers uh, and so we'll dive into all of that but last night you know, you had the trade deadline stuff Oof. with the Pacers. And listen, you're right. Uh, have it make sense. Did they did they get worse in the short term? Will they be better in the long term? What I would say to that is whether it's, you know, Chad Buchanan, his press conferences are going on with JMV, our conversations weekly, KB, with Rick Carlisle. Uh, and really just the tone from the franchise. It's important to remember that they have said, we are building we're not done. This is work in progress. And I think that kind of rang true for me yesterday when they made the move for Buddy Heald about 29 minutes after we got off the air. 10-29, I looked at KB and I go, they've made the move uh, with Buddy Heald. And then, just as an underline, I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but that was easily you know, one of the top, what, two, three, four bad games. Second this biggest season. home loss of the just, season. Just Clippers a, in December, the only list, other one bigger. Just listless. And listen, I got to put it right at Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. He was as listless as anyone on the floor last w- night. Which, so can we just focus there for just a second? When you say listless, this is now two in a week. Go back to that Knicks game. And I think what's disappointing about last night is Steph. Uh, 
was st- I mean, it, I mean, the Carmel Pups kids had to be weeping. Boy, if you paid to see him last night, and you got watching it. Yeah. that performance. I mean, it was vintage Steph. It was incredible. It was a night to remember for him, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. But Andy, I just thought they beat you to loose balls. Yeah. This is a team that got to the Conrad at three thirty a.m. yesterday. Three thirty a.m. They got to the Conrad. This is a team that is not in the Western Conference playoffs right now. Yeah, they're on a back-to-back. It, it was funny. Yeah. I was talking with somebody with Golden State prior to the game. He's like, yeah, man, second night of a back-to-back. Unless Steph goes for 45, we got no chance. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, how, <laughs> he went for 42. Close enough. How about enough. 42? And, like, some of the dudes that then would get in for them, if you look at their bench. Oh, dude, their roster is random. Their bench just kind of whipped you, to be honest yeah. with you. I mean, Santos and uh, whatever Sarek. number 25's name is. And yeah, I mean, Sarich is, is you know, hitting buckets against you. And it's not like Wiggins had 30 or Draymond all of a sudden hit a couple open threes and he's got 16. Like, Clay Thompson didn't even play. Yes, yeah, Steph did Steph, but it's not like they had another guy that all of a sudden had this out-of-body night. Jonathan Kaminga was pretty solid. Um, I think that's what adds to the disappointment is on the second night of a back-to-back, Listless should be nowhere in your vocabulary for the Pacers. And I thought it was for the second time in a week, the Knicks game being the other one there. Um, So I thought that was particularly disappointing. You know, Halliburton has earned the benefit of the doubt and obviously not harping too much on it, but it was an awful night for him. I mean, he didn't score his first bucket to what, 30 minutes into the game? Yeah. Step back three. Season low, five points for him. Um, I guess on the trade, Andy, I think... The root of it is welcome to new finances with Pascal Siakam and the hope to re-sign him. I also think there was real hesitation from Buddy Heald wanting to be here long-term. And I think Tyrese Halliburton, and maybe the reason Buddy slump got to this point, and I know Tyrese's comments publicly a couple nights ago, I think Tyrese in mid-January didn't want to do something like this. I think Tyrese in the last week or so gave the green light. And I don't know if we'll ever get anybody from the Pacers to publicly say that on record, but I don't think, because this is a question I got yesterday. Do you think Tyrese had say in this? Do you think Kevin Pritchard told him, you know, about this? Yes. Yes. These people are not dumb. They understand how modern NBA works. And I think Tyrese Halliburton eventually green lighted this. Um, so it, it, did you get worse offensively yesterday? Yes. Did you get a little better defensively? I think so. Did you get a little bit more flexibility moving forward? Not a ton, but I think you got some, and I do think that is important. Clearly, Chad Buchanan harped on that a lot last night after the game and describing the moves that they made, and we'll see how Doug McDermott you know, fits into this group because it's a different type of shooter than Buddy Heald. Uh, if you want to look at it, it was a very small sample size, but McDermott's best stretch of his career was, was with, with Rick Carlisle. Yeah, it was, in Dallas. In Dallas. Yep. Um, Shot sh- nearly 50% from three, I think. Yeah, it was like 49%. And, and the one thing that's always stood out to me about Doug is, you know, he has been a consistent 40% dude no matter the stop, no matter the team. You know, I, I think you and I had this conversation back when, hell, maybe the Pacers played the Spurs at the start of the year. I think I said to you, like, it always amazes me Doug McDermott is still in the Spurs. Like, <laughs> right. doesn't he we not did. scream yeah. trade deadline shooter that should be on yeah, some playoff well, type team? You were right weeks ago and you'd had no idea. And now he yeah, is. a month and but a half ago. Again, for a guy to have bounced around all these different stops and continue to be pretty much a 40% shooter, that is obviously a really, really impressive quality. So uh, we'll see if he is uh, ready to go, passes the physical, and if he can get on the plane for this three-game road trip to conclude the first half. Well, we we got our answer yesterday if they were going to let Buddy Heald walk away and not get anything. And listen, I know I, like, I, I can understand fans if they're like, I don't want to do the trade capital talk or anything like that, even though it partially does matter uh, to some fans more than others. But the 2024 second rounder they got from Toronto is going to be uh, a second rounder that's going to be right at the top of that second round. I mean, that's, that is now you know, that has changed, I would say, in the last several years, KB. The value of those picks it used to be a graveyard you know you got to the to the second uh, to the second round uh, it was a graveyard and people I- laugh at those picks but i just think we need to remind our audience out there that part of the Tyrese Halliburton Buddy Heald trade several years ago included sure. a second rounder if you go back to the deal with Cleveland from a couple years ago you included a second rounder turned into a first where did that first eventually go It was a part of the package to get Siakam. So I know when you talk about it here on February 9th, you're like, oh man, it's a weak draft and you've got like the 37th pick. Well, that doesn't do a whole lot. But when you start to 
put that together with another packet with, with with another piece, and all of a sudden you formulate a package. Now that can turn into something of note here. So I know it's not very flashy, and it is a second round pick when you look at it on a piece of paper. But when you start to put some things together, again, it's not obvious here on February 9th, but when this turns into something of note, uh, it's important to remember kind of what these picks can mean when grouped together with some other stuff. You know, I saw from the Philly side as well, KB, um, I saw a lot of the Pacers wanted to try to extract a first-rounder from Philadelphia. It didn't happen. Eventually, you settle on that very high second-rounder. Does rounder. that bother you, the fact that he goes to Philly? Because I do think that is one element. Well, I, that's, you, that's probably the one only of your, element. Yeah. I mean, if you look right no. now, the Pacers and Sixers are probably going to be there at the end of the regular season, fighting for some sort well, of playoff Well, the Sixers spot. needed Buddy Heald so they could stay ahead of you in the standings. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's right. basically what it was. I mean, forget about meeting them in you the postseason. You did not trade into the Thunder no, or it, somebody like it that. It could happen. They could meet in the postseason. We could have this conversation. But one of the reasons they needed to get anybody, just anybody, including Buddy Heald, uh, was that I want to go back to the game. I found this oh, God, to be we have to? listen. I found this to be a, a a pretty disgusting game last night, and, and I'll say I think you saw it on the face. Do you remember at the end of the first half, Bally's kind of had a close up of Halliburton holding the basketball, and he had to be coming to the realization that another star, that that another guard, that another point guard, that Steph Curry. And I know he's. Listen, he is the ultimate player. Steph Curry is a he's just one of the greats of all time. I totally get it. But he walked in to your building. You know, and I bet Halliburton takes that pretty personal. He walked into your building and he was the conversation piece and not you. And listen, I I've been trying to think all night how to say this. I believe that, yes, there is an open dialogue with Halliburton and the front office, even though I don't care as much about their friends thing. I know some people have made that, I think, a bigger deal than what it was. But the lack of shots last night from Halliburton. Yeah, it, like, like, he looked why, off. Why was I, he not taking yeah. shots? Was this one of those? Was he? I mean, I almost said, I was watching the game. I was like, if I thought differently, I would say he's pouting that maybe he lost mm-hmm. his friend. I couldn't figure out what was going on specifically with him as Steph Curry, right? Like, you would want to, when Giannis has been here, like, haven't you felt like, hey, they've been ready, or Boston's like, hey, the stars are here, we're ready to go. The star was there last night, and they were not ready to go. And that that has been a big-time <laughs> difference from what we've seen from the Pacers this season. It has. Boy, I mean, the 10 loudest cheers of the night were probably, what? Well, I guess, how many threes did Steph hit? 11? Well, let's go with the 12 loudest cheers of the night were the 11 step threes and then the Trace Jackson Davis chance <laughs> yeah, at the, at the end of the game. Minutes, yeah. uh, shout out to Trace getting in and, and uh, having a couple buckets there at the end. That was that was weird it, it, from, yes, from, from it, Halliburton. It was it, weird. And, and you know what? A lot of this has been new for him. You know, he was not the heralded recruit. He was not even Iowa State's like go-to late game, here we are, NCAA tournament type team guy. He certainly wasn't that in Sacramento. He's admitted you know, this stuff and me being the closer, this is new. Now, he has embraced that. I mean, hell, go go watch the game on, uh, what, Tuesday night. The Pacers needed a bucket to ice that game. No hesitation. He handles contact, hits the floater, and boom, you, you, you win it. But, you know, anybody that has been in a Steph Curry road game environment, you it's unlike anything yeah, else. It's different, right? I mean, that building opens up at 6 o'clock, and I, I joke about it, but literally every little kid in America you could imagine <laughs> – is in that building. I mean, we're talking, and I've said this before about the Pacers. The Pacers are in a unique geographic position in the NBA where if you're a Steph Curry fan in Cincinnati, in Louisville, in St. Louis, this is your closest road, home game, however you want to describe it, that sure, you're going to see Steph. Sure. So that place is a zoo with little kids pregame and just families in general that are paying, hell, half their mortgage, maybe their full mortgage, to come and watch Steph play. And again, I don't know if that just really got to Tyrese, if it was the buddy trade. I don't think like it was some just incredible defensive assignment because he was still distributing at a really high level, especially early on in that game there. But again, more than just like exiting from Halliburton had the rare off night, season low in points. Steph, historically good. I, I thought it was hilarious when they took him out in the first quarter because at one point, I don't know how to pronounce the kid's name. The kid with the hair. Oh, yeah. The Brandon, hair, yeah. who was playing for uh, <laughs> Clay Thompson. Yeah. He I looked at the bench after him. Steph hit his sixth three, and he's like, You guys don't want me to get him, do you? 
right? Like, I'm not going to go take him out. And, like, finally after, you know, him and Kerr and Kenny Atkinson and some of the assistants looked at him, they're like, yeah, come on back. Uh, You are not going in the game. But, again, more than that, more than Steph, historically good. I think he could be a top five golfer if he wanted to. He's that great of an athlete. Uh, More than Halliburton looking like, hell, me out there, frankly, from a scoring standpoint. The listless. You brought up that word. The, the very beginning that of the game. so damn yeah. frustrating. 5 nothing. Carlisle's calling a timeout. Yeah, what, 78 seconds yeah. into first, the game. First quarter, 45 points. I mean, we've seen them allow first quarters that have just been massive. I don't they, get it. Again, the Warriors, they, they get the Conrad at yeah. 3.30 in the morning. Like, they have not been a hustle. They are not some dominant rebounding team. They don't even start a true big if you want to get, like, technical with their starting lineup. That to me, and, and boy, if anybody watched Rick Carlisle post game, I mean, yeah, he, he was, was yeah, he was beyond pissed, yeah, pissed off pissed. Uh, with their effort from last night. So, as Andy said, an absolutely loaded Friday. I know, oftentimes, I probably drop that word and and I just say it to say it. Uh, it's certainly true today. IU Purdue tomorrow night, eight o'clock from Mackey Arena. I believe a blackout. I believe a little Troy Lewis bobblehead okay. action for the Boiler faithful there. Uh, Tom Coverdale at 8. Sasha Stefanovic, a couple Indiana boys that have played in this rivalry will be joining us. And Dwight Freeney is into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That announcement just after 10 o'clock last night. The spin move gets in. Guys, refresh my memory. Peppers, Patrick Willis, Patrick Willis, Devin Dwight, Hester, Dwight Devin Freeney, Hester, Devin and Andre Hester. Johnson. You That's it. your five-man mm-hmm. class. And then the senior class, uh, Steve McMichael and Randy Gratishar uh, are the other two thrown in there. So What's, it's a great class. Good class. a little surprise, no Antonio Gates. I was I was surprised. I thought maybe Gates over Willis for yeah, me. Willis. For me, just because Willis is in a longevity. little bit of the Luke Keekley, Calvin Johnson, yeah, not the twelve year guy, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera. On that end. So another year of waiting for Reggie Wayne. Mike Chappell, a man who is certainly a part of the voting process and can get a, get us behind the curtain a bit. He's gonna join us coming up at nine o'clock. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. It is a balmy Friday. That's why I'm rocking the t-shirt here. Uh, Enjoy the weather if you can today, and thanks for spending this morning with us. It is the Wake Up Call. I'm Kevin Bowen. He's Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton with us on the ones and two. Reminder, Mike Chappell will join us coming up at 9 o'clock. We'll talk about Dwight Freeney making the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A congratulations to him. Reggie Wayne will have to wait another year, so we'll talk with Chapp coming up at about 9 o'clock. You know what's coming up Saturday? Oh, you guys know. It's IU-Purdue round two for this season, 8 o'clock on Fox. Cannot wait for that one. Our coverage on IBC will begin at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, and one man who is very familiar uh, with the rivalry and everything IU basketball, Tom Coverdale joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Tom, uh, a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump off with this. When you think of IU and Purdue on the basketball floor, whether it be from your playing days or other times, uh, what image is in your mind when I tell you, hey, IU and Purdue are getting ready to play some basketball? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Good morning, guys. Yeah, the, the thing that pops into my mind is just a lot of fun. I mean, this... This is the reason why you go to an Indiana or Purdue is to be able to play in games like this. And uh, looking back on my time is nothing but good memories as far as thinking of that rivalry and just how intense and how fun it was to play in games like that is what sticks out to me. Tom, do you remember your record against Purdue? I think I lost once. Is that right? I, I thought I had it. I, I could be wrong on this. Math was never strong suit of me. I didn't have the Noblesville education like you. Uh, I, I thought I had it at six and three. Does that sound like too many games? Would you have played that, nine? No, that, I I know I didn't lose to him three times. Okay. You, your math cannot be correct. I think I lost to him my freshman year, uh, which I didn't get in the game. But then the, I lost my senior year. But and then did you guys uh, that, play him neutral one year? Yeah, we got to play them at, I think it was still, it was, was it still the Dome? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that game. That was a lot of fun. It was kind of, you know, back in the day when um, egos weren't involved and IU and Kentucky still played. In sure. The oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of egos we, we involved got, right now. Tom, there's a lot of ego involved right now with that rivalry. Unbelievable that we don't play them, but that's another day. Um, we we got we were fortunate enough to play Purdue. I think it was right when they changed the schedule. One year we only played them one time, um, and I think it was at the dome there. But that was a lot of fun. Which that was an absolute joke as well. If we're going to rant and rave about stuff yeah. like that, that needs to be a uh, 
two games every year in Bloomington and West Lafayette. Tom Coverdale, the legend, the pride of Noblesville. Watch this man a whole lot at the mill in high school, the Mr. Basketball. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Whether it was Coach Knight, whether it was Coach Davis, did you feel like it meant more when this one popped up on the schedule? To the, to, I, I guess to the coaching staff versus you know you being from Indiana, obviously. I think the coaches um, always downplay it when it's a big game and try to act normal and get in routines. But as a player, especially a player that grew up in the state of Indiana, they'd be lying to you if it wasn't a bigger game. Um, you can kind of feel it when you get in the stadium, too. Um, it's it's different than like an NCAA tournament game because it's a home field either at Indiana or Purdue, and the intensity and the crowd is more into it than a normal game. So you can definitely feel it as a player when you're on the floor. Tom Coverdale with us here on the Wake Up Call on the fans. He uh, joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. IU and Purdue tomorrow night at eight o'clock. Like I said, our coverage over on WIBC beginning at seven uh, at seven p.m. Did you feel like you? specifically uh, played better in those big-time pressure situations like the Purdue game? Um, I I tried to. I think I did um, for the most part in my career. I mean, you're always going to have down games. But, you know, those are the games you live for. I never looked at those as as pressure games. You know, you work your whole life to build towards an opportunity. Um, And I think the people that are successful during – what they call pressure pack games. I always looked at them as opportunity games because you've worked so hard to get put in a situation to where you're in a lineup to play in an atmosphere like that. Um, so I always tried to thrive and I always got up a little bit more for those bigger games. Um, it, it's hard not to, if you have that feeling and that, you know, fear of failure, I like to say, or, or just willingness to try to win for those big games. He is Tom Coverdale. He's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Obviously, the former Mr. Basketball and the point guard on the national runner-up team for Indiana. He's joining us here ahead of IU and Purdue tomorrow night, 8 o'clock from Mackey. Tom, I, I'm going to guess when a lot of people ask you about your memories at IU, the Duke game would rank pretty high on the list of what people ask you about. I, I might go in a different direction. Of that general run, the run to the national title game, if I took the Duke game out, what is your favorite memory from that run all the way to the title game? Ooh, that's a good question. I, w- I would say just the celebrations we had as a team after the game in the locker room, um, but reaching the final four, even though that was the game I, I hurt my ankle and I couldn't really walk, but celebrating with the team even after that and, and how the biggest the buzz that was around campus uh, something that you'll never forget as a player, just how the whole state rallied around that team. Um, but just the memories you have with your teammates um, is something you'll never forget, just celebrations. And, and I still talk to a lot of those guys today, and I think it's just because of everything we went through as a team those two or three years during that transition and to be able to have it in the end end in a final four is something you always remember together. Former IU great Tom Coverdale joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know, the team this season, we think the last couple years with Mike Woodson getting their footing back in the NCAA tournament, Tom, and then, you know, this season, I would say the wheels have come off, but it's not a good season, not looking like it's going to be an NCAA tournament season. So, spoiler some of the fun for Purdue on Saturday, no doubt, is an objective. If you could tell this team something, I don't know if it'd be a pump-up speech or just give them advice. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but what would you tell this team that has struggled so much this season? I would. Just, I think their biggest problem this year has been consistency, obviously. Um, if you look at the last few games, they play one half, that's good, and one half's bad. I would just say, like, look, if you can't, mentally get prepared for this game when it's going against arguably I think the top team in the country um, you, you, you shouldn't be playing here and you, you have to go into this game thinking about every single play if if all this week you're thinking about nothing but Purdue after you win, win, win against Ohio State then you need to seriously think if you love the game of basketball or not um, I, I think this team has shown spurts and they're talented enough that they should not have the record that they have. Let's be honest. There's enough talent on this team to beat Purdue 
um, or beat anybody in the country if they're playing the right way and have the right mindset going into the game. So they should have already been working on that all week and thinking about every little situation, every little play, and then go out there and play their hearts out on every single play. Because if you can't get up for this game, you shouldn't be wearing the uniform. Tom, did I hear correctly you found out you won Mr. Basketball in an airport? <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, it's even better. I was on spring break in a hotel room with about 15 of my high school friends. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Man. Where were you, Panama City? Jeez, you break out the water <laughs> bottles of vodka and let's go to celebrate that one. It, it, we don't need to get into all that maybe another time, but um, <laughs> it was in Panama City, yep. and I knew I was going to get a call. Um, I, I got the spring break late because they still had that top 40 workout, um, and I was I went to that, and they basically told me, like, look, you're either going to get a, get a call from me, you know, I think it was the head of IHSA or whatever, or your high school coach is going to call you to tell you you didn't get it. So all my friends are there. They knew the time, and I was thinking to myself, God, if I don't get this, this is going to be embarrassing. They got a party ready for me and all this stuff, but luckily I got the good call and not one from my high school coach. Yeah, I, I can only imagine what the celebration was there after. What happens on senior year, spring break, stays on is that, senior is that, year. Is that one hotel break. room or was that two hotel rooms, or was it just everyone piled in one room? Oh, no, we're from Noblesville. It was one room. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's what I thought, yeah. Uh, I love that. The one and only Tom Coverdale, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Tom, if you don't mind, um, it, it, could you update our audience on what you've been up to here over the last you know, five or ten years and just, uh, I guess, how close you follow the program from afar and then uh, what you're doing professionally? Well, I think you follow it as a former player and being a part of the program. I try to watch every single game. I don't get down to as many as I'd like. Um, but life is good. I've, I've been, you know, with me and my wife, we're in the Noblesville area again now. We lived in Fishers for a long time. I've been in the insurance world for 13 years now after I got out of co- college coaching. Um, and I have twins that are seven years old, a boy and a girl, so they're keeping us busy. But uh, everything is great. You ever have the itch to get back into coaching? No. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of former coaches, you know, it just got to a point where it's like, what do you want to do with your life? And I got into the profession and you have to move every three or four years. And, um, you know, I figured out friends and family is probably the most important thing to me in my life. So coming home and having my weekends free and being able to live close to my brother's uh, is something and and friends is something that I, I I wanted for the rest of my life, and I didn't want my kids to be moving around. Uh, do I miss the team aspect of it and being a locker room, being a part of games? Absolutely. Um, but I think you know, I, being able to help my kids as they get older, I can get kind of that fix. You know, trying to uh, help them out in it, whatever they choose to do. Tom Coverdale joining us here, uh, hanging out with us here on the Wake Up Call, on the fan, on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, if you think just through your playing days, best performance you saw, Indiana versus Purdue, I go to you know a game you're familiar with, 2001, 2002, Jared Jeffries, his massive double-double. I guess, what do you remember about that matchup and then any other, uh, any other stand out for you over your career there at IU? Um, I would say being able to play in the dome, like we talked about earlier, was something just because it was such a huge, a bigger crowd than at Indiana or um, Purdue. Um, but you know, in, in all honesty, when I was playing, they were kind of going through that transition. You know, the end sure. of Katie and the beginning of uh, Matt Painter, who I think is an excellent coach. Um, but you know, just um, going through that transition they they had some down years um but it was still a fun fun basketball game to play in and you know in a rivalry rivalry like that you're going to get the other team's best effort and they we definitely still did but we came out on top more than more than not tom you think we'll see anthony lee on the starting lineup tomorrow night god i hope so doesn't he deserve it (laughs) i was gonna say you know i i think you know, that's one of the bright spots. You know, you have to give a kid like that credit. It comes from Indiana, 
hasn't gotten a, that big of an opportunity, but when he got the opportunity, he was ready. And you don't, you don't, we, he's won two games already in the last couple of weeks. Let's be honest with his shooting and just playmaking and hustle. Um, so I think if that, you know, you know, you gotta, as a team, I think, and, and a criticism I have of this team is, is they look comfortable way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if that change would have been made sooner and given different people opportunities, like, you know, even when I played, I my when we went to the Final Four at the beginning of that year, I had a bad game and I didn't start the next game. There were consequences and you never felt comfortable. You were constantly trying to earn your spot. And I think uh, that's something this team's missing. I think really, really well said. Tom, someone that grew up in Hamilton County and watched you a whole lot in high school, thank you for those memories. I hope a lot of IU fans will have enjoyed this conversation. And uh, hope all is well with the family. Good luck with the Twins as they continue to get older in the elementary years. And really appreciate the time this morning, man. Well, thanks for having me, Kevin. I've been a fan of you since you started covering the Colts. You always give insight that you know, as a reporter, you want, I want to feel like, Hey, tell me something I don't know while you're there, since you're there. And I feel like you always do that. So keep up the good work. I appreciate that, Tom. Thank you, man. All right. You guys have a great day. Thanks for having me on. Mike Chappell going to join us here in just a second. I'm looking at Mike's timeline and it's all over the internet, but uh, KB, I just absolutely love the, uh, the videos when the players find out that they're going to be in the hall of fame. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like literally it's one of my favorite things all year. Yeah. I love nerding out with that. Yeah. uh, On the sports calendar, there's so much crap in sports. Uh, It's always uh, a, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a joyful moment, but it's organic joy, uh, I guess is probably uh, the best way to put it. Let's get him in. Mike Chappell joining us here uh, on the Payless Liquors Hotline, Fox 59, CBS 4. Mike, uh, good morning. Thank you for joining us. I guess, what were your emotions as Dwight Freeney made the Hall of Fame? And if you have a couple things in your mind, what explains the greatness that we saw for so many years here in Indianapolis with Freeney? Well, just the unique talent he was. Uh, you know, was he 6'1"? They list him at like 268, and I'm not sure he was ever quite that big. He was sort of the first wave, I think, of different body type linemen. You know, when he came here, it was always pretty small. He's one of those people, and there's a lot of them in a lot of places, that was a perfect fit, perfect fit for Tony Dungy's defense. He just was. Uh, But he had that spin move, and we've written about it and talked about it, and I've talked to him at length about it, and had a chance to talk to Joe Thomas, uh, the all-time great left tackle that from the Browns that went into the Hall of Fame last year about Freeney, and he said he said he was the greatest pass rusher that he ever faced in his 11 years. And he said the spin move revolutionized the position. He said before Freeney, he said guys were doing the spin move, but they were like spinning in place, maybe side to side. He said when Freeney did it, he was always advancing. Hmm. He said it was like he was teleporting himself from here to the quarterback, and you just didn't know how to block it, and you know, I, I, I'm really pleased that Dwight got in. Uh, and, I, and I have to tell you guys that, you know, locally he's looked at as a great, great all-time player. Nationally, he's viewed more than that. He is. His his presence nationally is is more than it is locally. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that, that two defensive linemen get in, uh, Dwight and Julius Peppers, who were both 2002 draft class, you know, number one pick and number 11 pick. Normally, normally you don't get two guys into the spot just because there's so many quality players and deserving players. But it just kind of showed you how everyone viewed Dwight. And, and I, I'm sure people are PO'd. I know Jared Allen. I saw Jared Allen posted or, or he went and told the Minnesota Patriots he was pretty pissed off about it. Well, you know, that's – and people here are really upset that Reggie didn't make it, and I'm one of them. But there's only what people have to understand. We won't get too deep into the weeds with the process, but only five modern era guys get in every year, just five. So it's one of those, well, this guy should have got in. Well, who do you want to leave out? Well, I don't want to leave anybody out. Oh, no, no, you've got to leave somebody out <laughs> right. to get your guy in. So I, and, and I know Reggie doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it, but hopefully next year is his year. 
Again, Mike Chappell is with us here. Chap, thanks for waking up with us. Fox 59, CBS. I did set my alarm. I, I did well, set my alarm. Just, thank you. You know I did. Thought about calling. I don't know. I thought about maybe like, do I have to call Kathy here? I, I just wanted to make sure that, that, that you'd be joining us. So thank you, a man of your word. After a late night last night, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, I guess let's start with Reggie. Did he get to the final 10, Chap? Because I know that that has even been a bit of a question before. No, he, he this was his fifth year. Uh last year he made the cut to ten. He and and again the way it works, we get the fifteen guys and we all debate the guys. The guy from the market, that guy's market, we discuss him and and then it's cut to ten and then you get to the five and then you vote on the five, you know, yay or nay. And last year Reggie made the final ten, but so did Andre Johnson and Tory Holt which means they just kind of cut each other up in the votes. This year, Reggie did not make the final 10. Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson did, uh, which, again, I was I was steaming, but, you know, I, that's the way it is. And so, yeah, it, it, you need to, uh, to say that last year, Dwight did not get to the final 10. Jared Allen did. Hmm. So you normally think, well, then, hmm. then the next year, the guy that made the final 10, but uh, there's just, it's so hard for me to explain to people and to myself, as I said, that the national perception of Dwight is off the charts. There's just, there's, for some reason, there's a little bit of pushback on Reggie. I don't know what it is. Is it a Colts saturation? There's now been six members of the Colts. That includes Freeney or uh, uh, Dungy and Bill Pullian in the last 10 years. Maybe people are thinking, hey, if you guys were that great, you should have won more than one Super Bowl. I don't know. Uh, Reggie's numbers, everything about Reggie's career says Hall of Famer. It says Hall of Famer before Torrey Holt. It says Hall of Famer before Andre Johnson. Uh, And, you know, I can't go into great detail about our discussions because they're private. But, you know, because they want people to speak freely. But I always, you know, I lead off with, you know, there's there's two guys in league history that are second in in all time in catches and yards, regular season and postseason, and it's Jerry Rice and it's Reggie Wayne. Yeah, I always thought the postseason so, resume chap for Reggie was what pushed him to Hall of Fame status. Well, because we've put we've put guys in there, Terrell Davis, almost solely on what he did in postseason. And now you're telling me that that postseason, you know, that's that's it was 21 games and 93 catches and I don't know, it was 1,200 yards in postseason. That's like a, that's another season, an entire another season against elite, you know, competition every week. So yeah, it, it's it's I was, I'm not saying Andre Johnson isn't a Hall of Famer. He is, he is. But we've had the the routine of when you have guys at the same position that are. Really, really equal. I, I could argue for all three of these guys. I could argue stronger for Reggie because I saw him throughout his career. But all three of these guys are, you can argue six Pro Bowls, seven Pro Bowls, an All-Pro, you know, all this stuff. And I think Reggie and, and Andre averaged like 12.4 yards a catch, and Holt was 13, one or two. So everybody's got their own little thing. But when we've had that before, it's like, okay, wait your turn. We'll get you in, but wait your turn. It was kind of like that with back in Marvin Harrison's day, which that really upsets me. So it was a third year for him, but he had to wait for Andre Reed or you know, Andre Reed, and then he had to wait for uh, Tim Brown. You know, those guys aren't aren't on Marvin level, Marvin mm-hmm. Harrison's level. So it should it should have been, and I would have agreed to it. Although we're, we're never going to get fifty people to agree on on this, but. Have it. Have them get in line and go to Baskin and Robbins and okay, Tory Holt, you're first, and then Reggie, and then Andre Johnson because Tory Holt's been waiting ten years, and Reggie, this is five, and Andre Johnson, it was uh, this is his third year. So and people couldn't get past the fact that boy, Andre Johnson, he just looks like a Hall of Famer. He's six three, two thirty. You know, he didn't have. Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck throwing the football. It was Matt Schaub with his best, all, all these arguments. And, you know, and, and they said, well, you know, he was the only guy that Houston had. Well, if that's the case, then he was the only guy they were thrown to. So his numbers would be fatter. So you, you can do what you want with the arguments. 
uh, I, I thought Reggie should have gone in. I just did before Andre Johnson, but that's not to slight Andre. It's not. It's just that Reggie's resume is better, and he's been waiting longer. Mike Chappell with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, Fox 59, CBS 4. You kind of talked about it there. I, I don't know how much you want to say, how much you can say. What are the conversations around a guy like Andre Johnson? Uh, it almost seems like Reggie Wayne gets penalized for being on good teams and having uh, such good quarterbacks throwing to him. Andre Johnson had Matt Schaub. Uh, if not specifically him, when it is something like that, how do those conversations usually go? Yeah, I mean, it's it's here. I am arguing the body of work and the playoffs, and you know, all, all the thousand yard seasons and, and all, all the great moments. And then some. Sometimes the other argument is, well, but this guy didn't have he didn't have these Hall of Fame quarterback and a ball pro or Pro Bowl quarterback throwing to him. And and, and again, they're valid arguments, but but you know, we never penalized. You know, this is a different level, but we never penalized Jerry Rice because Joe Montana and, and Steve Young threw to him, or Andre Reed that Jim Kelly threw to him, or Michael Irvin because Troy Aikman was there, and he also had Emmett Smith. So, it, it, to, to some degree, we move the goalposts to suit our argument, which everybody sure. does that in every line of work. But yeah, it's in in Reggie's. What is he? Six foot, probably. I don't know, two oh five. He's probably a Tad heavier now because he's been been away from the game, but it's just it's just hard to to argue when they keep when it's when part of the argument is well he, he was such an imposing figure he was so hard to defend and you know when guys are different a couple of years ago with these same guys in the room Calvin Johnson was eligible. And he jumped the line. Well, yes, yes, of course he did. He, he he was Calvin Johnson for crying out loud, and he was, you know, he was the the guy that just looks like a whole. What was he six four six five and you know two forty two fifty and and could run like a deer. But this again, I keep going back to the fact that these, these three guys are in, in in my soul. I believe Reggie will be a ten. I just do. He doesn't want to hear your time will come. Edgar James didn't want to hear that. He had to wait six years. He was a finalist four or five, four years, I think it was. And and, and I do believe it's true because I went through this with Edgar and, and he was he was PO'd. He really was about you know this is this is my resume. This is what I did. Why isn't this enough? And there, were, there was always a reason, I guess. Uh, but, but then when he got in, he said, "Well, he said." You don't you don't think about the weight once you get in. Well, but but <laughs> until you get in, you're dealing with the weight. It was kind of funny, and I didn't argue with him. But when I talked to Dwight about this, he said, "Yeah, he said, boy, I really wanted to be a first ballot guy last year. That's what everybody wants, first ballot, and th- that he didn't like the waiting. Well, he, <laughs> this is the second year for he he doesn't know what waiting is, <laughs> right. right? So yeah, but yeah, I, again, I, I truly believe Reggie gets in. And and the issue always is though is, is like who's in next year's class? Well, the ten guys that didn't make it this year, most of those guys will be back. Eli Manning, that that's going to be a fun debate. No uh, boy. That's going to be a fun debate for Eli. Uh, Adam Vinatieri, he's got to be first ballot, right, Chap Vinny? In my mind, there, there's always guys that you stand up and say their name and you sit down. And I think he should be one of those. But you know the, the but he's a kicker. And it took Devin Hester three years. Now they're different. Vinatieri's resume is is eons better than Devin Hester. But gosh, I mean, like four Super Bowls and and all time scoring and the two biggest kicks, the two biggest kicks in 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 Patriots history that won Super Bowls, but the two better kicks to get him going in the old Tuck, tuck Rule game when it's, it's a blizzard and, and that kind of kick started. Huh on words the 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 Patriots run so but there's always that thing as well he's a kicker and it took Morton Anderson a long time and Ray Guy the, the the only punter in the Hall of Fame who everybody says is the best kicker of all time he got in as a senior candidate which is like for 20 years he never got enough you know support to get in 
So it's just it's who's in the room next year and, and all that. So it's easy to say wait till next year, but then the room changes. And the problem is Reggie's stats don't change. I've always joked with him, you know, I, could you go out there and play one more year and get me another 1,000 yards? <laughs> but it's, it, he, he, I, I believe he's going to get in. I think the stats are like 85% of the guys who, who get their name in the room eventually get in, which is great once you get in. But until you get in, you just get tired. Because we're going to we're, we're go through this with Reggie next year, unless he doesn't want to discuss it, uh, leading up to the Hall of Fame with KB and all these guys out there, it's going to be talking to Reggie about, boy, what about this year? Well, he's going to he's going to roll his eyes, and then he'll probably be very accessible and personable and give us what we want. But this is really eating at him, and it should. He is Mike Chappell, the legend, the Hall of Fame voter. Obviously, find his work, CBS4, Fox 59. Chap, nice enough to wake up with us here on this Friday morning. I do want to shift gears, Chap. We did see the tweet from Jim Mercy's account earlier this week, certainly the first real positive update we've had. Uh, from a public standpoint, in, in quite some time. Um, anything more you can add on it, slash do you think we will hear from the owner at any point in the near future? Typically, you know, it's probably a quiet time for him, even in the off season. You know, owners' meetings at the end of March should be kind of the next uh, big point on the schedule, but do you think we hear from him at all? In the near future, I don't think so. Uh, I, I, just the way this thing has unfolded, what he was sort of – out of out of everyone's sight for gosh five weeks six weeks uh, since early December, and that you know that police reporting to his home and what was it December eighth and all that. So no, I I don't think so because you know the the guys who who you know the Stephen Holders and and Joel and those guys go to the owners' meetings and that's when they get access to the owner. I don't think. The owner's there. I just don't. Whether Carly would talk in his place, I, I doubt it. I, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing. I've got no inside information on that. And then we've always had him, remember, which is really great at, at, at the draft. Sure. Whether, yeah, Saturday whether the draft each year. In. Yeah, so I don't think so. I just, you know, he, he, you know, he put on the mend. I think this is going to be a, a, a semi-long process, whatever, whatever that means. But I, I think it was really encouraging, cautiously encouraging, that we got an update. Because I thought the longer it went on with nothing, and I totally, totally understand the family requesting privacy. This is, you know, this is the daughters and the granddaughters. You know, this is their dad and their granddad, and it's it's it, it is a family matter. But but at the same time. He's the owner of a zillion-dollar corporation, and and there's interest and, and concern. So I, I think it was positive. Uh, but, no, I I would be surprised if anytime soon, whatever that means again, we, we talked to Ursay, but to, to get some positive movement with a needle is extremely encouraging in my mind. Do you think we'll get anything from the team or Pete Ward related? Because you know they have released a couple of statements. It hasn't been you know earth shattering news, but certainly has provided a little bit more clarity. Or do you think it'll be stand by this you know tweet from Ursay's account, and then you know whenever he does, I guess meet the media again, that'll be the next time. Yeah, I just I just don't know that the family's going to come off the respect to our privacy. I, I just don't. I and again, I understand that from a, from a family standpoint. I I think at some point, at some point, whatever again that is, it, the question comes up as well. But who's running the team? And I don't know how a statement, I guess, would could tell you that. Well, in in Jim's absence. Carly does this, and Kalen does this, and Casey does this. I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're three owners. They're listed as owners. And we've seen Carly out there. She's very, very uh, visible. She's sort of doing what her dad did early, early in his career when he was picking up jocks with the, the old Baltimore Colts where he learned from the, from the floor. Now, I don't think she's picking up jocks. <laughs> but you see her at owners' meetings. You see her. At practice, you see her on game day, you know, with that wristband on and, and the headset, and she's really learning the team 
day to day to day. I, I think eventually at some point, whenever that is, she'll be the catalyst on actually running the team. And then everyone will settle into their role. They, they've, they've, they had to have planned for this type of thing, a, a succession plan, because because that's what you do. These are smart people. This is a, a this is big business. And well, doesn't the NFL and you, require to chap? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, but yes. Does the NFL require a succession plan has to be on file with the league? That's a good. I don't know. Probably because again, there's so much involved uh, with what happens, and that's why I say I'm back in. And I've mentioned this before, back in 2012, I believe it was, the the daughters were named owners. So, you know, they, they, they were three owners, and then Jimmy was whatever it was, chief executive officer and, you know, the boss, the, the big guy. Uh, whether that had something to do with some technicalities, some legalities, I don't know. They could have left the daughters with what they were. They were. I, don't know if they were I can't remember if they were vice presidents or what they were. But there's yes, there's got to be a succession plan. The league probably demands something, and it only makes sense from from a family structure to have that because of everything that's involved. And like I say, was it in 2014 when Jim was suspended for six games for that arrest? I believe Carly and and Pete and at the time Ryan Gregson. Took on a strong role, so they they you just you plan. I, I remember talking to Jimmy a lot of times and about whatever, and he always tapped on the, the side of his desk and said, "In this drawer, I've got names of head coach possibilities and GM possibilities." Because you always have to plan for the unexpected, and this is a much larger level than that. But of, of course, they they've planned and and considered what all the what if scenarios and. I, again, at some point, I I think it would behoove the team, as awkward as it might be, to to say this is hey this is we're dealing you know the family's dealing with this, but this but rest assured that the the, the the team is is running smoothly and this is how it's doing. I, I don't know if that's something they 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 should be responsible to do, but it would be a good idea because people people. Are curious and beyond that, you, again, it's it's a it's a billion dollar business, and you'd like to know that it's in the right, it, it's being run the right way, which I'm sure that it is. Again, he is the great Mike Chapel, the Hall of Fame voter, providing some wonderful behind the scenes on Dwight Freeney's induction. Reggie Wayne having to wait another year. A little Jim Mercer conversation there to round things out. Chap, uh, great or uh, have a great weekend, I should say, and I guess I'll hopefully see you in a couple weeks down at the combine. Looking forward to it. You guys be well. Now we'll get you a pop quiz in about 15 minutes or so. You can win that oil change and also that $25 gift card to Cluster Truck. Again, you miss any of the show. We had Tom Coverdale earlier. Uh, if you miss, uh, what do we have? Mike Chapel, any of our conversation around the Pacers, check it out at 1075thefan.com. Indiana, Purdue, Purdue, Indiana. Tomorrow night, cannot wait. That one coming from Mackey. Our coverage over on WIBC at 7 o'clock. And a man that will be in the buildings played in this game and now he's uh, Director of Player Personnel there on Matt Painter's staff. Sasha Stefanovic joining us here on the Payless Liquors Outline. Sasha, good morning, man. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. I appreciate you guys having me on. Man, uh, I can't wait for tomorrow night's game. I'm uh, I'm sure I know even though you're not playing, you cannot either. I guess let's start here. When you think of Purdue and Indiana, I asked Coverdale this in the 7 o'clock hour. I'll ask you, uh, when you think of Purdue and Indiana getting ready for a basketball game, uh, and I know you played in these and now you're on the bench, what's the first thing right now that's in your mind when I ask you that? Man, I just think about all the legendary matchups, right? You know, players, um, you know, obviously high, high caliber, talented, really talented, tough-minded players. But then I really think of like the coaches, right? I think of the classic matchups of Coach Katie and uh, Coach Knight, and now Coach Painter, and um, obviously Coach Woodson. So it's like really cool to to, to be a part of it and, and just think about those uh, times and throughout history. And then that, you know, maybe I played a small part in this rivalry as well. Certainly don't sell yourself short on that. A big part mm-hmm. in this rivalry. Sasha Stefanovic is with us here on the Payless Slicker Hotline. Ask Tom Coverdale this. Uh, do you know your record against the Hoosiers? I believe, if you count my redshirt year, I believe I am 8-1. and one. 
Look at that. Now that is. I might be right. I might be off on that a little bit, uh, but I, uh, I know I, I, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a couple wins down, down south. So <laughs> Eight and one is exactly correct there. And I'm going to guess, maybe I'm dead wrong, is the favorite memory, the go-ahead three in Mackey there in one of your final matchups against the Hoosiers? No doubt. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, definitely. I think uh, all of the times that you win down uh, in assembly is really, really cool for me. It's really special. But um, my senior night where we're able to, um, you know, be in a close game with them and I was able to hit a really big shot down the stretch is really, really cool for me. Last time playing in Mackey Arena and just, uh, you know, cementing a, a really big win for our team going into the NCAA tournament and the postseason and everything, that was really, really special for me. I've always wanted to be a part of the rivalry. I've always, you know, I'm an Indiana guy. I've always wanted to go to Purdue. It's my dream school. So to be a part of the rivalry and hit a shot like that was really, really special for myself. And Sasha Stefanovic, one of the best shooters Purdue has seen, he's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. And a key role, certainly tomorrow night. I don't know how much our audience realizes this, Sasha, but you know, it was kind of funny. I was watching a Purdue game earlier this year, and all of a sudden I see you like come to the front of the bench, and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I, I know that person. And I'm like, oh, wow, uh, he's got like a pretty specific role. Um, if you don't mind, could you share uh, your your in-game role for those that are watching tomorrow night and they might see you, particularly on an out-of-bounds play, dial something up? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, I'm I, I you know I would call my role like assistant offensive coordinator. So PJ Thompson, um, obviously, who's a former player, really really highly talented uh, basketball mind. He is running our offense, so you'll see him all the time with the whiteboard up, you know, calling our plays and uh, getting our offense into things. And then basically I'm his assistant. So I do the same thing with the whiteboard, but I'm calling all of our out-of-bounds plays, uh, side out-of-bounds plays when needed. Um, and then lately I've been doing a lot of, you know, ATOs and, and timeouts and trying to, you know, drop some plays as well uh, when needed. But it's really a unique opportunity for myself to get in and coaching um, – you know, and, and right away have an impact and, and be creative and try to, you know, call plays for our team and try to get get easy baskets or whatever, you know, we need in that situation. But it's uh, it's really great for me. It really helps me learn. Uh, obviously, I'm learning from one of the best basketball lines and, uh, you know, in the entire game. So it's it's really helpful for me, and it's really uh, it's really been, you know, rewarding so far. Okay, I'd love to nerd out a little bit more on this here in-game stuff. Again, Sasha Stefanovic with us, technically director of player personnel is the title there, but in charge of a whole lot here in-game from an out-of-bounds standpoint. Like, do you sit there going into tomorrow night and you're like, okay, under eight timeout, you know, whatever, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking this, you know, this is something I'd like to get to at some point. Like, how much, I guess, does game flow overrule what you might walk into thinking about? Because obviously you want to rep some of this stuff, I would assume, in walkthroughs and things like that. So I guess how much changes within a game based off personnel, foul trouble, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a little bit of balance, right? So like me and PJ, we we go through, you know, you know, either we did it yesterday, but, you you know, we go through it again today and we kind of not script out, but we, we have a plan of what we want to do, how we want to attack them, how they are going to guard us, right? Whether they're, um, you know, in a hard hedge and a drop and uh, are they going to double the post? How are they going to double the post? Is it going to be big to big cover down? Um, you know, all those little things that go into how to approach the game from a um, scouting standpoint and how they want to guard us, how they want to attack defensively we think about all of that going into what, what we want to call. Um, but as you mentioned, it's all a flow of the game, right? If Zach scores three in a row, three buckets in a row, you know, we obviously want to go back to him. So we might, you know, call the play that is, is directed to him. So for myself, obviously I'm a little more situational, you know, with, with time constraints, whether it's, you know, it's a late shot clock play. I need to get something that's a quick hit or under out of bounds or side out of bounds that the guys know, right? If I can't call a timeout or if Coach Payne can't call a timeout, you know, you need to adapt on the uh, uh, on the fly. So, um, yeah, all those things go into play. Like if, if we, you know, we want to get a jump shot, I, I got to call a play for that. I got to get a play for an ISO. Like different situations is really uh, something that for myself, like you don't think about all the time as a player what goes into it as a coach, right? We, you don't think about the preparation that 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 we do on the coaching staff, you just, you get this information delivered to you sometimes. So it's really cool that I'd be a part of this side of things. I really like thinking the game. I really, really like um, understanding matchups. Um, 
you know, how to pick on people, uh, how to get into certain actions. So it's really been cool from that side, the offensive side of things to just be creative and learn a ton. Sasha Lance Jones, boy, I tell you what, after every game, we talk about him. Uh, and, and, you know, even if he's not having a huge scoring output, which he has so much of the time, you know, you guys go back to that Rutgers game. He only had four points, didn't shoot the ball well, but had five steals, eight assists, and 10 rebounds. So he filled the stat sheet the other way. How big has his addition been to this Purdue team? And then just behind the scenes, in practice, off the floor, what kind of a guy is he? Oh, he is uh he is one of the one of the most special people I've I've been around. Just unbelievably kind, um, super friendly, all, never has a bad day, which is which is unbelievable. Like that's such a such a great characteristic to have, especially in this business, right? You're gonna have bad days. You're gonna be uh you're you're not gonna play well certain times, you're gonna go through things personal, um, off the floor. But he shows up every single day, just loves being here. Um, loves being a part of this team. And I, I, I'm really fortunate to be around him. Like I, I really enjoy my time around him. I wish Purdue, you know, the Purdue community proof Purdue fans got him for longer, to be honest, but he, um, you know, on the floor, he's so great. Like defensively on the ball. I think if you just watch him on the ball for possessions, he is unbelievable. He, he just blows up plays by himself with his energy and effort. Um, but it's just a mature standpoint, right? Like I think it really helps these the guys that we've had on the team previous, like last year, they were young, right? Now you bring in a, a veteran guard who's been through a lot of games, who's been through a lot of experience, and and he uh, he really helps those younger guys to, you know, if they may not have their offensive game going uh, this night, he's able to pick up the slack. He's able to give us a burst where he could rip and go, get to the rim. He's he's shooting it really well. Um, but just, I think that mature standpoint, I think he's been great for our team and it, and he's been, uh, he's been playing really tremendous. So it's, it's great. It's a member of Matt Painter's coaching staff and also certainly one of the best uh, shooters that Purdue has seen. Sasha Stefanovic is with us here on the Payless Liquors hotline. Sasha, the one, as a player, the one IU player you couldn't stand playing <laughs> against. Oh, that's a good oh, I question. I like that. Good question. Um, a lot of Man. team success, but I'm sure that, that you have, but I'm sure there was an individual or two, don't want to undersell, that you thought, ah, oh, damn, is he really still there? Well, obviously, you know, I was I was fortunate to be a part of the rivalry with Trace when he was there, Trace Jackson Davis, and he was obviously a tremendous talent, All-American caliber. But I think more specifically, like, <laughs> you know, it's funny, like, I'm friends with him, Rob Finnessy, but my senior year when at – uh, assembly when he just decided to have his career game, you know, go, mm-hmm. go figure. Yep. But he, uh, I love Rob. Rob's a really good player. And and the fact that he just had to do it that night was a little frustrating for me. So I don't know if uh, there's anybody too specific, but Rob, Rob would be the one for me right now. Yeah. How about the Lafayette kid hitting the shot? No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> the one blemish Please. on the Stefanovic record in that <laughs> no head-to-head doubt. series. Uh, last one for me, Sasha. Greatly appreciate you, your time. I've always thought from afar, like Matt Painter's ability to put a roster together. I've always been very impressed by the puzzle pieces. I mean, Lance Jones is a perfect example of it. I mean, this guy's not top 50 portal player or however you want to look at rankings, and yet it seems like such a missing ingredient that you guys now have. If you had to pick maybe an underrated aspect to what Matt Painter has, you know, has allowed him to be so successful, uh, at, you know, you certainly have played and now coached with him uh, or for him and now coached with him. What would that be for you? Yeah, I just think a lot of people don't realize what goes all into assembling his roster, right? I, obviously, you have to be talented. Obviously, you have to have skill. Like, he would never even look at you if you don't have the caliber um to play here. Right. But I think all of the other things that go into play about a player, about a person, um, when making a roster, you know, people don't realize that he thinks about, right. Like he's really big into personalities and personality assessments and what makes a person tick and what drives them. And he really, he really, you know, takes that into factor. Like he, he, he assembles his roster around, how people think and behave and um he's really big on that so if if he has a team full of guys that learn and think one way 
it may not work because everybody's the same, right? Like he wants somebody in there that can think different, can behave different, that may have some qualities that aren't the best, but we could fix them because you're part of our program, you're part of our culture, um, and all those things that, you know, go into being a Purdue Boilermaker. So it's really tremendous to see how his brain you know, works and and me be around him more and more and learn that, you know, he's one of the best college basketball coaches of all time. And just to pick his brain on certain things, offensively, defensively, you know, how to run a practice, how to do this, how to do that, how to recruit, how to, you know, it's really, really great. It's tremendous. And I think a lot of people don't realize the work that goes into it and how much he truly cares about um, Purdue and how much he wants you know, this university to succeed, not just basketball, but obviously just overall. But, you know, we really want to get to a level where Purdue is, you know, the the gold standard. And I think we're working towards it. Sash, you've been on the playing side, now on the coaching side. This team, if this team can make that magical run in March, what do you think that would mean to the program? Oh yeah, it's 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 a big deal, right? Like I think everybody in college basketball is striving to get to, you know, you know, Final Four, the national championship, and we've been really working towards it. I think we've had a lot of great teams. I think um, during my time, I think I, I, you know, it was really disappointing not to get to that level, but um, we had some really great teams. We were very close, knocking on the door, and then now we just continue to have gotten better. We've gotten we've gotten a lot of great players in the program. We've gotten a great coaching staff. We have everything working towards it. And I think, um, I think it's a matter of time. I think we really are are working towards it. We're having a mindset of, you know, working towards that goal in March. Um, and, and we're, uh, you know, hopefully we can get there, but it's, it's, it's challenging, right? Like everybody in college basketball wants to get there and only one team can get it. And, uh, it's a really hard goal, but, you know, that's that's the big one that's circled on our on our board, uh, you know, this year and moving forward. Sasha, congrats on the post-playing career success. It's been fun watching you have this role. I, again, I'm kind of a nerd, so I, I, I love to see what you guys do come up with, out of timeouts, things like that. Pretty cool that you've earned that responsibility here early on. So congrats on that. Can't wait for tomorrow night, and uh, thanks for the time this morning, man. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.